Knowing that you're set up for retirement and all that stuff is going to make you a better agent for change, like within your own community, right? Like your own mm -hmm. financial wellness, like that is going to allow you to show up to be of service in like a stronger, more resourced way. Hey, Dustin. Hey, Crystal. Hey, me searchers. You're listening to the me search podcast and we're your hosts. My name is Dustin Domingo. And I am Crystal Tugatti. On this show, we have critical, messy, and fun conversations with each other, with friends, and with leaders in the community. Together, we'll unpack important issues, learn, and unlearn what we think we know about what it means to be Filipino. Today, we are talking to a financial coach for liberation workers, an award-winning independent journalist covering anti-capitalist personal finance, and the founder of Queer and Trans Wealth, Leo Aquino. Yes, we're going to talk to Leo about the intersections of decolonization, liberation work, and being anti-capitalist because fuck the man. <laughs> <laughs> Let's welcome Leo Aquino. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. <laughs> oh, thank you so thank you so much for being here. We're so yeah, excited to chat with you. Yeah, same, same. And learn, and learn, and unlearn. <laughs> so tell us about how you got into finance and how it led you to where you are today as an anti-capitalist, helping folks with their finances in this way. Mm, mm, a very long, twisted, non-linear story, for Ooh, sure. Love. Um, <laughs> we love it. So, um, you know, I started writing full-time um, I think like 2017 or 2018, something like that. Um, and at the time I was covering sex and relationships, you know, fashion, beauty, like never in my wildest dreams did I think I would end up like writing about money, like let alone airing out like my exact student loan balance on like God's green internet. Like ev everyone, <laughs> like millions of people now have read my work about student loans and stuff. And I'm just like, wow, like people, people know, like it used to be such a source of shame for me. So like for mm. me to end up like in this place, um, it's like really wild to think back on, but essentially, you know, what happened was um, in the summer of 2020, my grandfather passed away and I actually uh, had the gift of inheriting his journals. And when I was looking through them, it was actually just him like recording what he spent every day and also like the money that he like sent back to the Philippines on a regular basis. Oh. And so, yeah, it was really like, whoa, like I felt very like um, Nicolas Cage in those movies, like, oh, like a relic, you know, <laughs> like, um, <laughs> but, you know, once I started thinking about and I, I was at the time already doing a lot of my own sort of like creative nonfiction writing about money, which I never thought I was going to like let anyone see it, you know, and also tying it back to like um, what my grandfather went through. And, you know, he was an immigrant. He lived in the U.S., in New York and then in Canada. Um, he retired there so he could get the free health care and all that stuff. Um, and like really till like the day that he died, he was like sending money like remittances back to the Philippines and so just I was already in my own work in private like beginning to think about all these connections and then uh 
there was um, a job that I applied to as, as you do when you're a writer and you're like really broke. Um, <laughs> and the job was for um, an editor over at Business Insider for their personal finance um, vertical. I got rejected from that job, but then they invited me to like write personal essays for them. Um, so the first one that I wrote was about like a time in my life when I couldn't afford to make my credit card payments mm. and like how, you know, what that did to my mental health and like what I had to do to navigate it. And like, it just went like gangbusters viral, <laughs> like, Dang. like millions of hits. And also at the time, cause you know, when you work full-time as a journalist at like a big media publication, they put like your email address at the end as like a, if you have any tips, like reach out to so-and-so at the WashingtonPost.com, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, at the time, though, I was a freelancer, right? So like for anyone to get in touch with me, they would have to do like layers of Googling. Mm -hmm. And like I was getting like an intense amount of hate mail because um, I had mentioned like the intersections of being like a person of color and like, you know, just being affected by these financial systems. And everyone was just like, coming at like I don't know I think my the article and and or my email address must have been leaked on like a reddit thread or something but like oh um when all that happened I was like I think I'm doing something right you know um yeah and then a few months later um the same editor that I worked with at Insider was like hey uh people seem to still really like your essay and we published it like a while ago do you want to come work here full time and I was like yeah, great. Let's do it. And then like two years have, you know, had passed since. And now um, I don't, I no longer work there. And now I'm here and I really discovered it's such a great way to connect with folks. Like where once it was such like a source of, you know, shame, like I mentioned, and also like just a thing that really like fucked with my mental health. Like it's so liberating to be able to be open about it and also to give people like resources that I could have used at some point in my journey um, and stuff that I still use for myself, you know, um, like strategies and frameworks. So yeah, that was a very long story, <laughs> but yeah, thank you. Leo, it's, it's great that you're here talking about something that is so taboo, I think in our community. I think also like at the world at large and the system that we live in, it's like people don't like to talk about how much money they make, how much debt that they have. There's a lot of shame tied to it. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, because you're so very free and liberated at the moment, but like having began this process of like starting to write about finance and how that has impacted your mental health, the negative comments that you got from that experience I would imagine would be very difficult to to handle. So how did you navigate that space of like mm. putting the negative comments to the side to continue doing the work that you're doing? Yeah. Um, well, thankfully, you know, I'm surrounded by so many like incredible friends and chosen family. So I started to talk about it and I was like, damn you know and also like just to be transparent um at the time and i think they still do like at the time insider was paying freelancers like 200 dollars for like a personal essay right so like there was something about it for me of like damn did i just like give 
give my like this entire like really vulnerable piece of my story away and like was it worth it I don't hold that intellectual property you know which I know um I've spoken to like lawyers before and I'm like yeah what do I do like I don't hold my IP and like you know lawyers are like well Leo you're not really like important enough but to me personally as an artist like as someone who shared something that was so like vulnerable and raw like there was something in my mind of like man was it worth it and then you know someone said to me like um yeah I will say I got so much hate mail and then I got like really amazing like love letters from folks oh. just being like oh you know I went through this too and thank you so much for talking about it and like people just suddenly were like pouring their life stories to me via email which I think oh. is at times overwhelming but at the time I was like oh this is really sweet like I think I really you know um was able to provide something healing for folks and then a friend of mine told me like think about it like it's kind of like a Yelp review like <laughs> people will rush to leave a bad Yelp review just out of whatever but if someone had a good experience they are likely not to so it's I kind of just thought about it as like okay if I'm getting like 30 plus pieces of hate mail that are like intense like you know even like um I don't really read Facebook comments like that but I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure there was a lot said about me but um I just keep thinking about the math of like okay for every 10 like hateful comments there might be like 500 people that liked it and never said anything you know and I was like okay I think that's worth it <laughs> I, I love your story about finding your grandpa's records. Is there anything that you feel comfortable sharing that really like stood out to you or a moment reading his entries and like how much he was sending that like, like really struck you? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, the, well, he was just like really funny. Mm -hmm. um you know sometimes it would be like um I went to Macy's and bought this but I wanted to buy this oh <laughs> you know just things like that like where, where <laughs> I'm like yeah it's you know decades later like still still applies right yeah um I think the thing that really um stood out to me that just like shook me to my core um, there was a moment where he was deciding between like whether or not to take on um, a second or third job or something like he was just like what do I do like how am I going to spend my time and he was writing about it <sighs> and he was kind of like here's the hourly thing like weighing the options right and at the end of it he writes but I have a choice. And I was like, dog, you know, because <laughs> I, I was like, yo, um, I think that um, when I first started doing like decolonizing work, like I don't think it had the same like the Instagram hashtags and the, you know, mm -hmm. all the things that like, I don't know, I always get 
like jealous of younger folks because I'm like, oh, you have everything. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like it just wasn't as accessible as it was when I first started. And I think a lot of what I was hearing when I first started like decolonizing was like, oh, you know, our ancestors, they were caught up in these systems and like, um, like they were victims of, you know, capitalism, colonialism, um, all the isms, right? Mm -hmm. Which is like very true. But also I think the part that's missing is like, yes, our ancestors had impossible choices, but like they still like looked at the world as like, I am a person with like agency and I'm going to mm -hmm. choose this path that I'm going to be on, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I also think that maybe like earlier on in the process, we might have a misconception that like, oh, you know, like our ancestors were tricked into doing blah, 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 which is like, again, true to an extent, but like, I think our ancestors also had like the long game in mind, you know, of like, mm -hmm. I might do this now so that four or five generations down, like, you know, my descendants can do so much more. Um, so that's kind of like what I try to focus on. Um, and what like having his things like really taught me. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, choices. Choices. The, ch the choices. Sometimes they're hard. Sometimes they're hard. But yeah, it's like long game. I feel like a lot of our ancestors were thinking about long game in the circumstances they were in, feeling cornered maybe at times. And it's like, oh, uh, you know, maybe later. Mm -hmm. Like my grandpa, he he was a sugar uh, sugarcane worker in Hawaii for a little bit. And I don't I don't know much about that experience for him, but I do know he was like, fuck this. I'm going back to the Philippines because this is this is whack. This mm -hmm. is whack. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and he pro he prospered there in the Philippines. So like, you know, his plans changed. But I'm thinking that his plan was to stay in the United States for a good minute. But he said, eh, actually. Mm -hmm. He's like, not for me. Not for me. Wise, wise man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's get into um, some present day work. And let's talk about your, your expertises and your wisdom and your knowledge. Because, um, you know, it almost feels counterintuitive to feel like you can invest and set yourself up for financial freedom. Living in the society we're in today, if you're dedicated to decolonization and shutting down a capitalist system and liberation movements. Um, what can our relationship to money and finances and investing look like on a day-to-day -day basis if we are doing these things like mm -hmm. decolonizing and, you know, liberation work? Yeah. Um, well, you know, um, first I'll tell you what I tell all of my clients is like, uh, folks always want to show up and they're like, I want to do everything perfectly right now. And I'm like, actually, it's like a one at a time thing. <laughs> like it's a <laughs> little by little thing, you know? Um, yeah. And secondly, um, like coming back on 
you know, choices. Um, yeah, we like, like our ancestors were faced with these like really difficult choices, right? Um, sometimes just taking investing as an example, like you might want to, like you might know, okay, there's, you know, all these terrible companies that are investing in fossil fuels and weapons and like uh, homophobic, like lobbying and et cetera, right? Mm -hmm. And you might want to say, okay, I know that. I know that they're terrible. I don't want to invest in them. Um, and then there's, you know, um, what they call like ESG investing, which is like environmental social governance. And this, these are like um, stocks that have been, stocks, companies, funds that have been screened for like um, making sure there's no fossil fuels and weapons and things like that. Anything like harmful to the earth. And you might find that like investing in the terrible companies are going to yield you a return that can actually like allow you to retire comfortably. And then the other thing might not, you know, and then what you really have to weigh is like, what is the personal impact on me of this like decision that's in front of me versus what is the impact on like the system in general? Because you can't, you know, you can't be throwing like a pebble at like a skyscraper you know what I mean like um <laughs> if you know and also it's all relative right like some people might think differently but it's like if you want to invest according to your values but then you find that it puts yourself at a disadvantage financially but then if you look at it and you're not actually like let's say for ease of numbers like 50k and you're like okay my 50k is not actually making a huge difference in the giant, you know, this giant financial system with like billions of dollars of a market cap. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. so it's kind of like, it's a lot better for you to do like this thing that is not like 100% aligned with your values. However, like knowing that you're set up for retirement and all that stuff is going to make you a better agent for change, like within your own community, right? Like your own mm -hmm. financial wellness, like that is going to allow you to show up to be of service in like a stronger, more resourced way. Also like in the long run, you know, like I think financial wellness like gives our movements longevity period, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. um, and also like, there's no way to do it like perfectly. <laughs> I think like, that's also a decolonizing practice, right? Like to make sure you're like not falling into the trap of perfection. But it's just funny to me how when people are like, oh yeah, I'm decolonizing. But here's like, what is like the checklist of things? And I'm like, there is none. That's the point. So, mm -hmm. yeah. That's so hard. <laughs> like that's, it's it's really hard. Like even talking about like, having the checklist of like decolonizing like i often like put that pressure on myself like what books haven't i read i'm awful like i haven't read this book or that book or i haven't done this yet but it's like it's a lot to do to dismantle these systems <laughs> it's just like there's so many things that we do have to do and it is an incremental 
kind of change situation. And it does take all of us. It takes numbers and it takes, you know, not everyone's going to get on board with decolonizing right away or not mm-hmm. everyone's going to get on board with like the movements, especially the movements that are happening now with Palestine, et cetera. Um, but yeah, I think that's, that's hard to, to, I think that's hard to wrap the head around just mm-hmm. especially in coming back to finances. It's like, I just want to get my finances in order and I just want to feel mm-hmm. safe now. And I want to feel secure now. Um, For sure. so I, I, I feel that deeply. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I do want to say um, about Palestine, like, I think today marks a hundred days, right? Yes. Um, but think about it. Like we've all been boycotting for a hundred mm-hmm. days, like, and we've seen it works. Like Starbucks, like lost. What is it? Like billions, billions, billions of dollars in value. It's right? like more than ten billions. Like eleven, eleven billion. I think is the number. Um, yeah, and it's working, and we're seeing it in real time. And you know. Again, like I tell people, like obviously the Starbucks boycott has been working because there are so many of us that have organized our efforts to do it at the same time. But then if you're trying to do it alone, <laughs> um, let's say, for example, in the stock market, like the impact on you is far worse than what the impact would be on that system, you know? So it's it's tricky, tricky stuff. Um and also, uh, I'm going to just say this, there's, I, th- I do think that people in like decolonizing spaces, anti-capitalist spaces, like activist spaces, because there are so many rich people that have like misappropriated their wealth, have hoarded their wealth, like um, a lot of folks have this um, association with like money, like making a lot of money is bad. Actually, it's not. It could be very value neutral as long as you're super intentional about what you want to do with it. You know, mm-hmm. you're not a bad person for wanting to make a lot of money. <laughs> wow. Thanks for saying that, because honestly, there is a part of me that feels that way. <laughs> no, no. Also, there's, you know, there's no that's another thing that I contend with and like activist spaces especially like we tend to hold people up on a pedestal for like sacrificing their own like personal and financial well-being in Mm -hmm. like service to movements but like that is not it at all give those folks mutual aid give them money like you know what I mean like I don't I don't really believe in like um like what's happening in Palestine and folks like getting killed like that is the martyrdom right but like when we do it to ourselves by like under earning in the work that we do it's like it's not cute it's not effective Mm -hmm. and it's not sustainable for like the longevity of you know the work we're trying to do for community when it comes to like investing or like putting your savings somewhere or watching your money grow are there like spaces you feel the most comfortable putting your money in um 
I think a lot of them are like equally, you're just, it's like a lesser of evils type of thing. Um, I will say there's like the Redwood Fund with Aspiration, right? Um, where they like put money towards like planting trees and stuff, um, which is like cool. <laughs> I think people ask me questions like that all the time. And I do think that, again, it's that question of like, what is the impact <laughs> like for you personally versus like the system as a whole. And I just think like, for example, like Chase or Schwab mm -hmm. or like Wells Fargo, not great. If you can avoid those banks or you Bank of America, if you can avoid those big, big banks, like please do. And also I know people who live like in like rural Oregon <laughs> and the closest bank is like chase you know like yeah and that's that's what they have to do so it's kind of like yeah um i would also look into like black owned banks and credit unions near you mm -hmm. um one united is a pretty dope bank um they're out here in la and i think they have branches in boston um yeah good to know I think one thing I'm I'm trying to wrap my head around with all of this is it sounds like we're all participating in a very flawed system, but I think it's just very difficult to grapple with the guilt that comes with having participated in a system that mm. will set mm. you up for financial success but then it's like well damn you all are evil just in general but like thanks for helping me it's just like a weird thing to like oh deal with that like yeah. relationship of like i hate you but i need you oh yeah it's definitely this like toxic dependency that you know capitalism forces us to be in so i i feel you do you feel like there's a system that is better than capitalism maybe n not one that exists today but like if you were to reimagine how we should be doing things in society as a whole like how do you feel like the economic system should be mm. if we were all liberated peoples yeah i mean first of all i think that we all should have a lot more like ownership over our own labor <laughs> Right. Um, I think it would be like instead of these like top down type of businesses where like someone like this, you know, very out of touch CEO like makes a bunch of decisions that affect the rest of us. Like there there should be ways for like, you know, workers to have a say into like where their labor is going and who, you know, who benefits off of like the fruits of their labor. Right. Um, you know, there are also folks who are focusing on like closing uh wage gaps like within companies like with between like leadership and also um just like workers right so between managers and workers um so for example like a ceo should never make like the ceo of mcdonald's should not make 100x like you know um like the lowest paid worker right there should be a little less like discrepancy between that I don't know, though, because personally, um, for me, part of, like, my spiritual, like, beliefs around money is, like, I'm going to, like, let the generations 
um, after me kind of decide what that society is going to look like for them, like what they need in the future. I also want to like stop romanticizing that some obviously things need to change, but I don't want to like, sometimes we're like, oh, if this thing would happen, we would be like saved. Like if all student loans were forgiven, we would be saved. Like actually there's just so many facets of like this beast that we're trying to fight. So like mm. um, what I try to focus on is like my outlook and my relationships with these systems that we have to contend with. Right. So like, for example, um, I used to live in Brooklyn and Bed-Stuy and my, every day I was like, wow, I'm such a gentrifier. Like I'm a horrible gentrifier. Everything is my fault. Oh my God. Coffee is a trillion dollars, like a cup, like it's my fault, you know? And then, <laughs> and then again, a very wise friend said to me, dude, if you ever feel bad about like being a gentrifier, just go stand over by the like Whole Foods and Red Hook. Like, you know, because I think a lot of times we like internalize the like terrible things that these systems have done to our communities, but it's actually not any one individual person's fault. I mean, other than like, if you're a Jeff Bezos or like an Elon Musk, like, yeah, it's your fault. But, um, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, like how do we, it's almost just getting right-sized is like the best phrase that I found around like my relationship with capitalism. Because when I think about how big it is and how little I am, I mean, I'm Filipino, so, you know, I'm little. Um, <laughs> but like, yeah, it's kind of like I'm not holding out hope for things to change in my lifetime, <laughs> but mm -hmm. I trust the actions that I'm taking to kind of plant seeds so that, you know, it's kind of like running a relay race so that the future generations can like do the work they need to do, you know. The children will save us. <laughs> I, feel like, <laughs> I feel like the kids, kids know us up, mm -hmm. a lot of them, and they're going to be a huge key in the monumental change that we hope, hope to see. They're already doing it. You know, yeah. like they're so brave. <laughs> I know, right? They're I love so it. Ah, uh, and they don't give a fuck. <laughs> I know. I, I'm like, damn. I wish I were like as degaff as you. <laughs> like, <laughs> Honestly, at, like when yeah. I was your age, and also today, because my God, I'm high strung. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Final question. With all of what we've talked about, what do you feel like is one action item, Leo, that you would like to invite our listeners to go out and do? Well, uh, 1A, we are shooting <laughs> this, we are filming, uh, recording this, oh my god, filming, we're recording this on uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, so... Um, mm. Uh, give money to your black friends, one. <laughs> yes. And two, uh, honestly, I would actually, um, I I studied with the trauma of money, uh, which is this program that, you know, is like an anti-capitalist way of looking at money. Pretty dope program. And they asked us once to like write a letter to money. <laughs> mm. um, that would be a pretty cool exercise. Because, um, you know, 
Um, I, I do it every now and then. And I'm just like, sometimes I'm like, fuck you. You're so annoying. Like, <laughs> why is this so unnecessarily hard? Why are you doing this to me? Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> How dare you? Yeah. And then sometimes I'm like, when I'm feeling chummy with money, I'm like, yeah, you look so cute today. Cute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Talk to your money as if it was a person. See what happens. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I love that too, because like we're talking about our relationship with money and relationships require conversations. Hey. <laughs> so talk to it. Let it know what you're thinking and feeling about it. And then maybe it will respond. I think that's like manifestation-ish kind of, right? <laughs> it is. It is. Mm -hmm. Ah. I'm gonna do that. We should do an yeah. episode where, like, we write, we've written our letters, and like, we talk about mm -hmm. what we wrote. <laughs> I'm down. You could even, you could even be like, "Dear money, oh my god, there's so much of you. Oh my god, I don't have any room. Leave me alone." Oh my god! Uh... <laughs> I have just so much. <laughs> what there's to like do? So what to do much with of it? you. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness well leo thank you so much for everything you had to share with us this yeah. was so lovely chatting with you and learning with you me searchers give it up for leo aquino thank you so much for having me thank you and y'all, thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to be a me-searcher. Follow us at me-search podcast and check us out online at mesearchpodcast.com. And as always, we're going to get to the bottom of things. This is me-search, folks. Oh! <laughs>